the business. Thanks for coming out tonight. I wrote me a manual, a step-by-step booklet for you to get. Now I make money moves. What up, what up, what up, guys? Welcome back to the Fitness Times Business Podcast, the show created to provide you with the practical and strategic advice to help you level up in fitness, business, your career, your relationships, and your life. My name is Joseph Mansell. I am your host. Join for another installment of Your Four with co-host Brandon. Hello. Like how I drew that out there? Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, man. There's so many. There's so many things happening in the in the pod at the moment. We're we're, we're um, trying a different ambiance. We're back in the um, the original podcast studio for this episode, which is uh, which doubles as our boardroom here at uh, at uh, MJ Fitness headquarters, and we're back for another installment of your four. Yeah. Straight up. Straight off the it's bat. Different. It's yeah. A different setup. Well, I think the the last episode, the uh, the the questions were so good, and the um, uh, the response that we got to that episode was so good, and we've got such a big bank of your four questions. We're like, man, we we got to keep pumping these out. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, another four questions, and these are man, there's some good questions. Yeah. There's some good questions. There's some that missed out, even like that are real good as well. Well, we might the next episode might yeah. be another episode of your four, just while we're while we're uh, we're, we're getting through these. But uh, if you have guys, if you have a question, while we're talking about questions, if you have a question that you'd like to submit uh, that you think is appropriate for an episode of your four, the best place to send them is straight to Brandon on Instagram at Brandon Verde V E R D E. Well, let me spell the full thing: B R A N D O N V E R. RDE, uh, and you can just send them a DM and pop your question in there. Uh, one thing with the questions, as you guys know, they're always anonymous, so we just ask the question. We don't say who it's from. So if you're worried about, you know, you don't want to be seen as asking a particular question, it's not. I don't even see it. You see, obviously, who asks the questions, but I just yeah. see what ends up getting asked, and I got no idea where it comes from. And you guys, the listeners, the viewers, have no idea who's asking it either. So complete anonymity. Mm-hmm. We just want some good questions. So you can send them straight to Brandon. Before we get into this episode, Brandon, I just want to talk a little bit about um, the new Creatine HydroPure uh, from Creation Supplements. New drop from Creation. Uh, I'm, I don't even know what number of product this is now, but it's been uh, quite some time in the making. Pure pharmaceutical grade creatine monohydrate, uh, the best of the best. The purest of the purest. Pure as the driven snow. As pure as the driven snow. No fillers, no flavors, uh, everything that, that those of you who have used a supplement from Creation Supplements before would know. Uh, it's no bullshit, man. Like it, it is what it is, uh, and it's good quality essential base supplements. And uh, creatine hydropure is no exception. Pure pharmaceutical grade creatine monohydrate, uh, exceptional value for money. It's a 500 gram uh, tub. So if you're taking five gram serves, there's 100 serves. If you're taking three gram serves, it's like 100. 60 something 66 166 167 round it up uh at uh at 59.95 and specifically for you guys the listeners and the viewers of the fitness times business podcast we have a once only offer to introduce the new creatine hydro pure you're going to get 30 percent off already a fi- already ridiculous value for money and now on your first tub of hydro pure 30 percent off just use the code FXB online at massivejoes.com. Pop a tub of, uh, of creatine hydropure in your cart. Pop the code FXB in uh, the little coupon code section and 30% off will be automatically applied your first tub of, uh, of creatine hydropure. Literally, like, no reason not to try this product. Yeah. It's the one, it's this one supplement I recommend everyone take. Everyone. Creatine, yeah. Regardless of uh, your goal, regardless of your gender, regardless of your age, like if you're in fit, if you're into fitness, mm-hmm. creatine is an absolute must-have. Yeah. And a lot of people prefer creatine monohydrate over other times, uh, other types, I should say. And now Creation has uh, an option for creatine monohydrate. Creatine Hydropure now available, thirty percent off when you use the code FXB. Brandon. Yes. Four questions. Yep. Let's go. Let's get to it. First question. Post comp blues, is it a thing? Timely question. It is a timely question because we are um, smack bang 
in the middle of uh, season B here in Australia, uh, in in uh, in the bodybuilding world. Um, so a lot of people are going to be experiencing post comp blues uh, if they haven't already over, <laughs> over the next few weeks. Um, yeah, it's a thing, and there's a, there's a few like people kind of call it post comp blues as like an umbrella term, and it's just like you know after you've after you've finished a prep and after you've competed in a show, uh, you know you 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 just don't feel very good, and it kind of gets you know uh, grouped together as this post comp blues. Um, what it actually is is there's a few different things that 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 happen. Uh, after a, a, a contest prep and, and, and after a competition. Um, the first one is, and I guess this is probably most uh, generalizes like post-comp quote-unquote blues, uh, is the anti-climax that's associated with any like big event, you know, like you've experienced it in other parts of your life, right? You have this big uh, celebration of sorts or this big milestone of sorts, and then you've got this massive uh, rush of excitement and, 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 and happiness and bliss, and then the event is over, and then you have like this anti-climax, you know, and, and you kind of feel like down in the dumps a little bit. The same thing happens with a, with a competition. And the reason for it is primarily dopamine. Right is because you have this consistent um, stream of dopamine as you're progressing towards a particular goal, and in this case, a, a competition. You're progressing towards, uh, you know, being on stage. You can see the progress week on week, and 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 the the um, hormonal and psychological hormonal reward for that is is dopamine because you can see the progress. And then you have the big climax. The show that you compete in, you're up on stage and a massive rush of, of dopamine uh, and then it drops off and then there's no real dopamine release and that is really what causes the, the, the sadness really, the anticlimax, the, the quote unquote blues um, that most people experience. But that's not the only thing. Because the other thing that you, that you uh, experience after a contest prep and after a show is you might have prepped for 12 weeks, maybe 16 weeks, maybe 20 weeks. And I've mentioned the progress, right? You're, you're progressing, you're making, uh, you're losing body fat, you're looking good, you're making progress in the gym, uh, you're, you're, you're heading towards that, that goal of the, the stage. And then after the show, it starts slipping away. Right, you start putting on a little bit more body fat. Um, you know your motivation levels aren't as high. There's no real, you know, end goal for a lot of people. And so at the same time, as you're experiencing the anticlimax as a result of the drop in dopamine, you're watching all of this work that you've put in over the last 20 weeks start to slip away. So that has a negative psychological feedback loop as well. At the same time, you're dealing with raging hunger hormones because you've been in a caloric deficit for 20 weeks, right? And so now you start reintroducing food back in and your, your hormones like your, your ghrelin, for example, hunger hormones are telling you to like eat everything all at once because you've effectively been starving your body for three months, four months, five months. So you, you're battling against these raging hunger hormones. And then from a hormonal perspective, you've got like a rebalancing of hormones that's just associated with being really, really lean, right? Usually females struggle with this a lot more than, than uh, men do, but there's a lot of different hormonal things happening as your body tries to get back to a state of homeostasis, effectively. It's trying to get you back to, like the, the human body is not supposed to be stage lean. It's just not, right? So your body starts to go, okay, well, let's, we need to get some fat back on this body. And there's a whole lot of different hormonal reactions that happen. Um, you know, hunger hormones we've spoken about, sex hormones, uh, sleep hormones. Like it's just, a, it's a fucking mess mm -hmm. to be completely honest. Um, and it doesn't really get spoken about a lot. You know, everybody's pretty quick to talk about the prep, uh, you know, the struggles during the prep. Uh, the, the challenges, how to overcome the challenges. A lot of people talk about the, the day of the show, uh, you know, all of that and the, the, the glitz and the glamour and the highlights and you know how it is. And then no one really talks about the post-comp blues. 
which is why I think probably where this question comes from, like, is it a thing? Yeah, it's a fucking thing. It's just no one really talks about it. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, I, I, it's one of those things that I wish people spoke about more. Like, I always try to after a show. You know, I always get asked about it. And I try and be as open and, and as honest and really kind of as vulnerable as I can be because I think it's important that people understand that this is, like, it's real and everyone experiences it. And um, you know, it's not it's not something that you should be ashamed of. It's not something that you should try and you know you feel alone with. Uh, it's just it's part of the process of of uh, you know being in a caloric deficit for a prolonged period of time, competing in a physique based sports bodybuilding show. Uh, you know, it's part of the process. Yeah, yeah. I haven't competed before, but it's it's the same with a lot of things. A lot of big events you have planned, whether it's me with. Um, having like a physique goal or like a if you're shredding for some or even me going to to europe the build up towards it it's, it's yeah you get the dopamine from from the journey mm. um, the journey towards it and then once it actually happens that's when you come crashing back down and then what yeah working towards something and then now obviously it's expected that you're going to feel a bit lost um so that, that's why i think you need to have a goal almost straight away after, is that, do you agree? Um. Look, I think my thoughts on this have have uh, developed yeah. over the years because had you asked me this question maybe five years ago, I would have said, yeah, 100%. Like it's super important. And a lot of coaches preach this, a lot of prep coaches preach this as well. It's like, you know, as soon as the show's over, set your next goal, you know, and a lot of people like it, it might be a make sure it's not aesthetic, but make, you know, set a strength-based goal or set a, um, you know, some, some goal that's not related to the way that you look because you know after a show, the way that you look is gonna to start to slip away week by week. So that's not a good goal to set, which I agree with. But a lot of them are like, you know, set a goal straight away and start walking towards that goal straight away. I think as my thoughts around this have progressed over the years and developed over the years, and I've been through more preps myself because I used to do that too, set an immediate goal. I think that the risk is, is that you sweep a lot of the emotions under the carpet and you don't actually experience them because now you're immediately, the show's over mm -hmm. and I'm focused on the next goal straight away. And the thing with emotions is if you don't experience them and they bubble away in the background, and they always do, at some point you have to feel them. And I think that that's the risk of like immediately setting another goal and moving straight into that goal. My thoughts now are experience the blues. Mm. Like just experience it for what it is and understand that that's part of the process. You know, it might last a week, might last two weeks, might last a month. There's nothing wrong with leaning into those negative emotions. People are so fucking afraid of, I don't wanna, I don't wanna experience sadness and I don't wanna um, experience feelings of shame and I don't wanna, you know, anything negative, I just wanna run away from it. It's not gonna fucking kill you. Mm -hmm. Like, just experience it. Understand that if you purposely numb negative emotions, it's like a pendulum. You're going to inadvertently numb positive emotions as well. Mm -hmm. The more you can lean into the really uncomfortable, not so nice emotions, you're developing the ability to lean into the positive, fun, happy emotions. Yeah. So that's kind of my thoughts on it now. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I was gonna ask your advice to people new to uh, competing or they've just competed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you said, just, yeah, I've lost my train of thought. Well, people kind of, you know, the, the question that I usually get after a show, every, <laughs> Always, I shouldn't say usually get. The question that I always get after a show, like literally, I'll fucking post something on social media about like a stage shot, you know, and I'll say how I went, whatever, and literally like the first comment is like, what's next? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard you talk about this before. Yeah, and like, no, fuck do you mean what's next? <laughs> this is my chance to actually just be and present in the moment and just experience it for what it is. Mm. I'm not thinking about what's next fucking 10 minutes after I've stepped off stage. Yeah. I'm enjoying that moment, you know? It's funny because after the, um, the New York Pro a few months ago, I, same thing, like what's next? And I did a Instagram um, Q and A in my story and 
a lot of people, what's next, what's next, what are you thinking, blah, 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 all this shit. And I was just like, I'm, I am actually just going to enjoy the moment. I just competed at one of the biggest fucking shows in the history of bodybuilding, uh, a show that I watched as a teenager that I, there was no, I had no business believing that I ever step on the New York Pro stage. I just did, created history, first Australian men's physique pro to do it. I'm actually gonna enjoy this moment. Mm -hmm. And there were negative emotions as well. I'm gonna lean into the negative emotions. What's next, I'll think about in a couple of weeks. Yeah. One of the best things I ever did, man. Mm -hmm. So really your advice is just be aware that it is, it's more than likely you're gonna, you're gonna come down after it. Yeah, and just, oh, it's yeah, guaranteed. Just accept it. Yeah. And just know that yeah. you're gonna feel like that. Yes. If you're more aware of it at the time, yeah. then it'll be easier to deal with. Yeah. Just know it's gonna pass. Yeah, know that, you know, uh, it's like anything, man, this too shall pass. Mm -hmm. Like it's not gonna last forever. Um, and you know, it, it is gonna feel like shit. The post-comp blues, like the post-comp period is fucking horrible for all of the reasons that I mentioned. It is horrible, but it's not gonna last forever. So, you know, don't fight against it, lean into it. Yeah, good shit. Next question. Next question. Let me get some ASMR here. Oh, what's going on here? It's my hay fever medication. <laughs> I was starting to get a tickle on my nose, so I thought uh, I'd yeah, get that, some up with get, some get that, get that into you. Those of you watching the uh, video version will know what's going on. Those of you are listening, you've got no idea. Mm. It's a right. reason to watch the video version. Question two. <laughs> Is it too late to get into e-commerce if competitors are well-established in the market? The short answer is no, of, of course not, um, because you think about some of the biggest e-commerce brands in the world uh, and they weren't the first in their category. They were often very much not the first. They <laughs> very much the category had developed and then they've come into it you know, years after they'd been a big market leader and uh, now they are the market leader. Um, so I think you kind of turn to the evidence and you look in like all different categories. You know, it could be like fitness, our, our space, it could be fashion, it could be electronics, uh, perfume, like fucking pick anything and look at who the market leader or the multiple market leaders are, understand their journey and most of them were not the first. Right, so they came in at this point into e-commerce where there well, where there were well-established competitors, and they just either did it better or offered something slightly different, uh, and were able to gain a lot of market share. So the short answer to the question is no. The bigger answer to the question, and, and you know, this really applies. This applies to any business, not necessarily e-commerce, but any business where you're going into a competitive marketplace. It's something that, um, it's something that I spoke about uh, this week on Monday, Monday morning, our Monday morning managers meeting. So one of the uh, greatest, in my personal opinion, one of the greatest marketing minds um, is a gentleman by the name of Seth Godin. Uh, and I've read a whole bunch of Seth's books. Um, I get uh, subscribed to Seth, Seth's blog Seth's blog, uh, and I get that every morning in my inbox. And um, Seth is, man, he's, he's incredible. Like his, his way of articulating his thoughts and the thoughts themselves are, are um, amazing. One of the things that he talks about is he talks about a smallest viable market and he talks about going narrow and deep rather than wide and shallow and you can apply this to a whole lot of different things but in this context what he's talking about is if you're going to e-commerce and um, there's a specific market that you're going after and there are well-established competitors really the only way that you're going to be able to carve yourself a place in that market it's not going to be by going as wide as you possibly can and appealing to the biggest possible market it's gonna be by appealing to the smallest viable market for your e-commerce business. So you need to identify what's the business I'm in? What are the products or services that I want to be in the business of? 
as narrow as I can possibly define my market and my potential customers. I'm gonna try and go as narrow as I possibly can. And then I'm gonna go as deep as I possibly can into that narrowly defined market and offer them something that nobody else can offer them. So let's take, for example, I don't know, you pick something, anything, any product in, that could be sold online. Blue light blocking glasses. Okay, so let's go blue light blocking glasses. So going wide and shallow would be like, I'm going to create an e-commerce website or brand or whatever it is that's gonna to appeal to everybody who is in the market for blue light blocking glasses, right? That would be wide and shallow. Smallest viable market, narrow and deep. I'm going to create blue light blocking glasses that appeal to only women between the ages of 21 and 25 who resonate with a particular style of glasses that might be inspired by one of the big fashion houses, for example, let's take Prada, right? Prada's got a really nice um, range of glasses at the moment. My blue light blocking glasses are gonna uh, not uh, copy them, but they're gonna be quite uh, similar to that style of glasses, because I know that that appeals to that particular female between the ages of 20 and 24, and that is my smallest viable market, and I'm gonna create a product and a website and an offering that specifically appeals to that smallest viable market, and I'm gonna go as deep as I possibly can when it comes to the way I'm designing my product, my website, my marketing, my advertising, who I'm recruiting as influencers, how I'm targeting my ads. Narrow, deep, smallest viable market. And if you do that, the big blue light blocking glasses companies, they can't compete with you at that product offering because they're focused on going as wide and shallow as they possibly can. So the answer to the question is, uh, uh, no, it's not too late. The follow-up is how do you do it? You focus on the smallest viable market, you go as narrow as you possibly can with that market, and you go as deep as you possibly can into a product or service that appeals to that market. Yeah, no, that's an awesome insight. I think you need to also go into the, the mindset of it. Um, don't just get into it with the mindset of like getting, getting rich or just making a quick buck either. I don't think it's too late to get into anything if you're if you're hungry enough, if you're passionate enough. It, like you said, it applies to applies to everything. But yeah, the smallest viable market is huge. It applies to a lot of things. Like I heard Alex Hormozzi say it as well. Like you hear that thing, that saying, "Oh, billionaires have seven different streams of income." Yeah. But they didn't start there. Yeah. They start in and on one little thing. They hone in on that, get good at it, and then that's when they they cast their net a bit wider. But yeah, you covered you covered it there. You know, I'm not sure I agree with that because I've heard that from Alex, and I've heard that like obviously that you know the the uh, that's been spoken about a lot. I don't know if I've heard it more recently or just my reticular activating system is is firing up and I'm I'm noticing it more recently. But you know, it's the it's the whole thing, and just to just to kind of flesh it out for people that perhaps haven't seen any of Alex's content around that, or a lot of people done a lot of content, but around, you know, like people who are financially independent and very financially wealthy often have a lot of different income streams. So effectively they're diversified. They don't have all of their eggs in one basket. Mm -hmm. And the counter argument to that is, yeah, that may be true, but they always started with their eggs in one basket, developed one income stream, and then used that income stream to create multiple new income streams. Mm -hmm. I really think that that is an oversimplified way of explaining how that process works. Mm -hmm. Because everyone I know uh, personally who's super, super wealthy, uh, it, it was never that, right? It was always, and I guess I'm gonna be skewed a little bit because a lot of people who I know who are super wealthy are entrepreneurs, so they're already gonna have an entrepreneurial mind. So take what I say as just my personal experience. My point is, I think that the way that this has kind of been oversimplified, and I've seen Alex's clip where he has the different glasses, and he pours like the water into the different glasses and you know uses that as like the visual representation of multiple income streams. And then he's like, well, if you just take all the water and pour it into one glass, it overflows. I think it's just oversimplified because 
back to the people I know, entrepreneurs, is they very early on, they started thinking about multiple income streams. And it might've been just a slight nuance to what they were doing, but they had like their main business and then it was like, oh, well, let me go and explore this and let me go and explore this and let me go and explore this and let me go and explore this, as the entrepreneurial mind does. And it very quickly turns into, they may have one main income stream that generates 90% of their income, but they're always thinking about and exploring different opportunities for different income streams. I, I just think it's way too simplified to say, go all in on one thing, wait till that's making you millions of dollars, and then figure out how to take those millions of dollars and diversify across 10 different things. Mm -hmm. Because diversification is a skill as well, right? You can't fucking turn it on and off like a tap. You don't just go, okay, yeah, no, I know this thing really well, and now I'm gonna start that. No, no, no. You get better at it the more you do it. So the sooner you can start diversifying and thinking about different opportunities, in my opinion, the better. Okay. Like I said, I may be skewed in the other direction, yeah. but man, there's so, like, there's so much of this shit that I see on social media where I'm just like, it's, it, it oversimplifies something that's a lot more complex by nature of the fact that it should be fucking complex. Mm. Uh, and I think sometimes people kind of just go, you know, um, they just go too far in the other direction. That's what I'm trying to say. We're way off fucking topic. Yeah. <laughs> How do we even get here? That's a good little off topic. How do we even get here? Yeah. yeah. No, I can't right. think of any other, like off the top of my head, but I've seen it before. Yeah, yeah, where yeah, it's so like, so. this is the status quo. It's wrong because of this. And then it's like an oversimplified example of why it's wrong. And it's like, uh, okay, hold on a second. I can see why that appeals to people, but there's a lot more to it than, than um, this oversimplification of mm. why the status quo doesn't work the way that people think it works. Yeah. There's a question about that coming up, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. So. Yeah, that, was, that was a good insight because you don't really see many counter arguments because I have heard it a few times as well. Yeah. I think even Ed Milet touches on it. Yeah, Ed's way. spoken about it before. Yeah. That, main, yeah. that main source, that main thing, and then obviously different streams. But. I mean, people are always going to have a main thing, right? Because, you know, especially if you're like, if you're um, financially wealthy, it gives you the freedom to really kind of lean into what you're passionate about, yeah. which by nature of you being passionate about is gonna become your main thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what I mean, like there's so many different complexities behind the scenes here. I, I, the one thing that I do agree with that is spreading yourself too thin, right? And, and this is, I mean, this is something that I've personally done myself in the past, is I've had like my, my innate entrepreneurial mind sees opportunities everywhere. And so I wanna go do this and then do this and then do this and then do this and then do this. And I really need to like pull it back and just go, fuck man, just focus on like, keep the main thing, the main thing, Yeah. you know? So I do agree with that is that sometimes people go, okay, the wealthiest people in the world have an average of, I think the average is seven income streams or some shit. Therefore, if I'm trying to get on their level, I need to start building seven income streams right from day dot, right? So I've got a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there, a little bit there, and I've, I'm, I'm, I, I, uh, I've got too many fucking things going on and I can't commit to one thing enough to actually see it through and I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. And instead of trying to chase one chicken, I'm chasing fucking seven, right? And, and that is true, right? Because I've seen that play out as well. I've got a few of my mentoring clients that I work with where I'm like, man, just let's just start here. Let's go, let's figure this shit out, right? And then we can go on to the next thing and then on to the next thing. And they've got like four or five things on. And I'm like, you, 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 there's just not enough time, effort, energy that you can dedicate to seven things at the same point in time for any of them to be successful. Yeah. So I do agree with that aspect of it. Um, but yeah, I think the, the oversimplification, sometimes I see it and it worries me a little bit because I think that uh, perhaps people are uh, uh, um, probably taking it a little bit too literal. Yeah, uh, cool, that was a good insight because I don't think it's something that many people have heard you talk about. Yeah. So yeah. But let's just circle back. To the I, like, to the I'm, man, but for me personally, like I have multiple income streams. Yeah, yeah. I'm very open about that. Mm -hmm. Like people know, like I have 
the MJ Fitness Supplement side, TMJ Apparel. I have my business consulting and mentoring business. I do fucking keynote speaking. I run IFBB shows. So I have a lot of like a lot of completely separate income streams, mm. but I've got a main income stream too, yeah. which is where I spend most of my time. That's what you guys see me doing. Yeah. So yeah, you know, I guess my my experience is mixed in that regard. Yeah. So quick recap. Yes. Smallest viable market. Yep. Find a gap, or just find find a specific N niche, narrow a niche. niche and go as deep as you can into it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Can I just add one more thing you before can. we go into the next question? No, <laughs> this longest answer in the history of your four. Um, Specifically with e-commerce as well, just because this question was an e-commerce question. At the moment in e-commerce, there is probably the biggest opportunity that I've seen to get first mover advantage over businesses that are established and can't move as quick as new businesses can. Probably the biggest opportunity I've seen since the advent of social media. So 2008, 2009, something like that. So the biggest opportunity in 15 years. And that opportunity is around Web3, it's around AI, it's around VR. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've spoken about it here, right? Because we're currently working on another little project mm -hmm. on the MJ Fitness side of things. And there's a massive opportunity to use AI in an e-commerce space mm -hmm. that our eyes are wide open to that I know a lot of our competitors in the e-commerce space on the MJ Fitness side, in the supplement side, are too big and too well established, they're gonna miss the opportunity. Just like when I first started Massive Joe's, mm -hmm. and I built a business on the back of social media, and I had a lot of established competitors in the marketplace that, fuck, they were like literally five years late yeah. before they got on the social media, and I was able to literally build my business from nothing from selling supplements out of my fucking bedroom as a teenager in my parents' house into a multi-million dollar company within a number of years in terms of turnover on the back of being a first mover in that space. And we're currently seeing it right now and it's Web3, AI, VR. So back to the e-commerce question, now if you combine, pff, fuck, if you combine Smallest viable market, going as narrow, as deep as you possibly can with Web3, AI, and VR, change your life forever. Mm. Let's move it quickly. Yeah. Cool. Next question. Now we can move on. <laughs> question three. Are fitness tracking devices and apps helpful tools for health and motivation, or do they contribute to unhealthy obsession and anxiety over metrics? What do you reckon? I know you're a, you're a bit of a yeah. tracker of analytics. Yeah, 100%. I, I, I love them, but there is a bit of a trigger warning, yeah. especially with like your calorie counting apps, I find. Yeah. Um, calorie counting apps, sleep trackers, your watches, your, your smart watches. Aura rings. Your aura rings. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it can be a pretty sensitive topic to, to those who have struggled with, in particular, calorie counting. Mm. Um, struggled with their relationship with food in the past. Like I haven't had a, an eating disorder, but I've definitely become pretty obsessive over the metrics mm -hmm. in the past. So I empathize with those who are going through that or have gone through it. Mm. But I, 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 I see it as a tool. Um, I don't use it every single minute of the day. Mm. Um, I find, I, I think it's different. It's really, it's individualized. Mm. It needs to be I mean, competitive, like competitive athletes when like every single macro counts and things like that, I think it's a bit different. But I like it as a tool because for me, it was a, it's a good way to get a good idea on what I was eating, what I was consuming, when I was trying to put on weight, why was I not putting on weight because I was under eating, mm. um, vice versa. When I was trying to lose weight, I was over consuming. So I think it's a good tool mm. um, with the calorie counting apps. Sleep trackers, man, I, I used to love using them. I had a, a whoop. Um, you've got an aura ring. Yeah, yeah I, I love looking at the data, man. It's really interesting. But I know you can get into. Uh, there were some days where I'd wake up and I'd be feeling good, and then I look at the data. I'd be like, "Fuck, I slept six hours, five hours. Yeah. All my REM sleep was shit." Yeah, and then that just plays on you psychologically for the rest of the day. You just, I don't know, you just feel tired. So yeah. that's where I think it had a downfall. But yeah, just don't become obsessive, like over the numbers, like watches, like. 
fitness trackers like watches and stuff are known to be pretty inaccurate yeah especially with like the calories burnt and stuff and i know people can get really obsessive over that but i mm. like them for like use like watching my rest times and stuff when i'm training yeah um looking at my heart rate things like that as well but yeah it really i mean you can obsess over any metric man 100 percent. Um, like scale numbers yep likes on instagram mm -hmm. associating that with your self-worth yeah what, what are your thoughts Exactly the same. Uh, that was exactly where I was going to go with it. Like, I think that these trackers are fucking amazing, right? To be able to track uh, on your phone your, your macros with a few clicks, incredible. Um, to be able to track your exercise output, your sleep, like you mentioned, I wear an aura ring. I'm super interested in, in um, doing what I can to improve my sleep quality because I know the effect that it has on my productivity throughout the day. Um, man, knowledge is power. Mm. Always has been, always will be. So the more knowledge you can acquire um, in the fitness tracking space, uh, the more power you have. The question then is, what do you do with that power, right? Because that's where it can go, okay, you know, I'm gonna use this information uh, as information, and if certain things are important to me or I'm seeing information that perhaps I don't like, I'm gonna implement things that will allow me to um, be in a caloric deficit or a caloric surplus now that I'm tracking my caloric intake. Uh, I need to work harder in the gym because I noticed that, you know, I thought I was working pretty hard, but the tracker actually tells me I'm leaving a bit in the tank. Or I need to go to bed earlier. I need to invest in a good sleep supplement because I thought my sleep quality was good, but my aura ring shows me that perhaps there's a little bit of room for improvement there, right? So what you do with the information then becomes of ultimate importance. Because if you use it as information and you try and uh, do things to improve it, fantastic. If you start obsessing over it, mm -hmm. and like you said, I've done the same thing with my aura ring, man. Like I'll have a, a, a good night's sleep and I'll wake up and I'm like, fuck, I slept good. And then I go check the aura app and the aura is like 68 as a sleep score. Yeah. I'm like, fuck, <laughs> what a disaster, what did I do? Um, but you have, to, you have to then have the awareness to go, okay, look, it's just information. It is what it is. Do I feel good? Do I feel like I slept good? Yeah, I do. Mm. Fucking fine. Let me now look at the information. All right, what happened? Okay, I was actually up and down all night or I tossed and turned or my breathing was off or whatever. Okay, cool, what could have caused that? Maybe I ate a little bit too, oh shit, yeah, I did have that big steak. 30 minutes before I went to bed. Okay, perhaps tonight I'm gonna to try and not eat 30 minutes before I go to bed. Or if I have to, I'm gonna eat a smaller meal. So you just start, you know, removing yourself from attaching, like you said, man, attaching your self-worth to the data and the analytics, seeing them for what they are, and then using them how you wanna use them. Mm. Ultimately, like that's kind of what it comes down to. But it's like anything, like you can fucking obsess over any information. Yeah. So, yeah, you know. Yeah, um, I think they can be useful tools. I love them yeah. uh, personally to get a good gauge on things really and just, yeah, use it as a tool. That's the key there. You yeah. use it, don't let it use you. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good, we should definitely use that as a quote. <laughs> <laughs> Next yeah, question. If you feel yourself starting to become like obsessive over it, then just stop. Yeah, yeah, then it's time to just pull back from it. Yeah. Awesome. Last question. What are your thoughts on the trend of hustle culture in the business world? Is it a path of success or a recipe for burnout? This was the question I was uh, talking about when we were talking about the uh, seven streams of income a little bit earlier. Uh, man, it's such a loaded question. And it, it's, once again, it's one of these things where like social media has oversimplified and um, really sent to the extremes uh, a concept that really is a lot more complex than, uh, than people kind of um, lead others to believe through their social media posts. So hustle culture is, um, you know, the, the culture of working hard. Ultimately, like, is that what you would say? Mm. It kind of boils down to like, you know, I'm going to, work my ass off and as I'm working my ass off, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna reap the rewards of the hard work that I'm putting in. And the harder I work, the more results I get. That's effectively hustle culture. I've got a couple of thoughts on this. And then, and once again, this is based on my personal experience. Uh, and so I, it needs to be delivered through the lens of, I don't know everything. And I see what I see through my lens. 
but I do have a lot of personal experience specifically in the business space, specifically in the space of quote unquote hustle, mm -hmm. <laughs> as does anyone who, who, who started shit from literally ground zero. My first thought is there's a big difference between being busy and being productive, right? So hustle culture oversimplifies what hard work is because it's very easy to work really fucking hard and achieve nothing because you're confusing busyness with actual outcomes and actual steps forward and actual productivity. Yeah. This is something that I work on a lot of my um, business mentoring clients and personal development mentoring clients. I work on this a lot because a lot of them, being high achievers, are very busy and their plates are fucking full, but a lot of it is just wheel spinning. They're just spinning their fucking wheels, man. And they're not actually moving to, a lot of them, there's no actual goals in place. So it's kind of like, well, why are you so fucking busy? You don't even know where you're going. So there's a big difference between busyness and productivity. And it's really easy with hustle culture to find yourself super busy because, hey man, it's hustle culture. I'm fucking hustling. I'm working my ass off. I'm up at four. I don't go to bed until fucking 10. I'm sleeping three hours a night. I'm hustling, man. Fucking hustling. Working nine days a week. I'm working fucking 24 <laughs> days every seven days, you know, and it, it you know, because I'm, I'm hustling. Yeah. You can be very busy and get nothing done. So that's the first thing that you need to be very conscious of. Is all of this busyness producing productive outcomes or am I just busy for the sake of saying that I'm a fucking hustler? Mm. My second thought around it is... And Harley, it's interesting because I was talking to you about this yesterday. We were, Harley, um, our new content creator, we were, I gave a keynote speech yesterday and we were driving back from the keynote and we started talking a little bit about um, on social media, people that glorify uh, almost the opposite of hustle culture where they put in a lot of work, uh, sorry, they put in very little work and have these awesome results. And I said to you, I said, just be careful with that because often, either one or two things are happening. They're actually working a lot harder than they're letting you believe or the results are not as good as they're leading you to believe. Mm -hmm. There is definitely a relationship between how hard you work and the outcomes that you achieve. Don't get it twisted. For the most part, you work hard, you produce good outcomes. Provided that the work is productive, it's not just busyness for the sake of being busy, you put in productive hard work, you achieve outcomes. There's going to be a lot of times in your career where you are working your fucking ass off and you're being as productive as you know at that point in your career you can possibly be and you are literally fucking hustling and nothing changes on the outcome side. And this is where a lot of people quit because they are, they, they're doing everything they can do. They've refined their process, they're efficient, they're productive, they're they're really, real hustle. They're really hustling and they're not getting the outcomes. And they go, fuck, what am I doing? It's wasting my time, wasting my life, wasting my effort. Let me go and pivot, try something else. This is literally, if I'm not mistaken, I can't see behind me, but I know I put it up there earlier. There's the mem of the uh, gold digger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think everyone's, everyone, Everyone knows that one. Yeah. He's got the pickaxe. And, yeah, yeah. And this motherfucker is chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. He would have been like literally fucking hustling. And nothing's happening. But if it was just a few more swings of the axe from unlocking the result that he was trying to get. And this man, it's the diamonds that are in the fucking cave that he's digging towards. It's important that you understand that. So while most of the time there is a direct correlation between effort and outcome, a lot of the time there's not. And you're gonna go through periods where you have to fucking hustle and level up and be productive and be efficient and work your fucking ass off for longer than you think and much harder than you think and you're still not gonna get the outcome that you wanna get in the time that you think it was gonna take you to get it. Mm -hmm. And you just have to keep going. 
my final thought on this is it's very easy to then also be very productive and be very hardworking and hustle to the extreme where you don't give yourself the downtime to be still, which then is your opportunity to be creative. And what I mean by that is even Formula One cars take pit stops. Even the highest performance machines known to man have downtime. You can't run at 120% all of the time, nonstop, without taking time to, to be still, to check in, you know, what's going on? You know, am I healthy? Am I happy? Mm. And is the direction that I'm heading in still the direction that aligns with who I'm trying to become and what I'm trying to achieve? I think it's very easy to just run at 120 all the time and not check in, not be still, not have those periods of creativity, those periods of downtime, those pit stops, which often will change the trajectory of your life for the better. That's some good shit. I think the concept is is good. And I think it can help you get, it can help it get people out of a rut as well. Um, adopting that mindset help like light a fire inside yeah to initiate change but the yeah the mentality i don't think it's a it's a long-term one it's i'm thinking as as the mentality not really how you've broken it down Mm. i want to know what are some tips that people can do to ensure they're not just being busy but they're being productive in yeah i know this this can open up a whole yeah (laughs) that's there's there's a loaded question yeah Man, uh, I'm actually working on a tool at the moment. This is going to be a shameless plug, but um, I'm, shameless. well, I'm going to mention it because I think it's really something that will help people a lot out with this. It's a daily accountability calendar. Um, and it's something that I've used for, fuck man, more than five years. Uh, and effectively, it's a very short, sharp, to the point, daily to-do list that um, lines you up to make sure that what you're doing on a day-to-day basis is actually moving you forward towards your goals. It's not just being busy for the sake of filling the hours with something. So I'm working on that tool. It's gonna be available, man, hopefully by the end of October, start of November, um, and I'll be sure to to, um, tell you guys more about it when it is available. But something like that is, from a tool perspective, is gonna be very useful. Effectively, what the Daily Accountability Calendar allows you to do is identify your most important goals, right? Where am I trying to go? What am I trying to achieve? and then tying a daily prioritization and execution list to those goals. So everyone's busy, right? Everyone has a lot of shit going on and it's very easy to just get caught up in spinning your wheels and the day is gone and you're like, fuck, I I was super busy today but I didn't actually get anything done. By prioritizing the most important tasks that will push you towards what you're trying to achieve, who you're trying to become, and making sure that those get done and holding yourself accountable to making sure those get done, that's why it's called the Daily Accountability Calendar, Mm -hmm. is a great way of starting to separate busyness from productivity. I'm gonna be busy, I know it, there's gonna be a bunch of shit going on, but I need to carve out half an hour here, I need to carve out an hour here to get this done and that done and that done because those are the three things that if I do them today, it moves the needle. Mm-hmm. If I do them today, it puts one foot in front of the other and I'm moving towards the goals that are most important to me. Yeah. That's, the, that's ultimately the concept, is prioritization and execution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, awesome. I think, yeah, I think it comes down to time's your most precious asset. Mm. So just be really mindful of how you spend it. Mm-hmm. That's all questions. 100%. That's it. Oh, you had something else to add just then. Well, no, I thought you had another follow-up in there. I was waiting for it. I was waiting for that's the that's next follow-up. The, the hustle, the hustle culture. Just, yeah. And just know that there's going to be, like if you if you choose to adapt that mentality, there's going to be areas of your life that are going to be neglected. Yeah. So just be comfortable with that. Yeah. 
It, it's interesting because like once again, it's one of these, these social media um, terms that oversimplifies, <laughs> you know, because it's like on one extreme, you've got hustle culture. And then on the other extreme, you've got like the self-love movement. Right. And like the hustle culture is work your fucking ass off, you know, and, and be busy, 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 busy. And, you know, don't sleep and work nine out nine days a week and all that sort of shit. And on the other hand is like, just love yourself, man. Yeah. You know, don't work too hard. Yeah. Make sure you've got time to, you know, sit on top of a fucking perch and meditate four hours a day. And, um, you know, and those are two, uh, you know, opposed ideas that in their own right are just they oversimplify it because it's like well you got to be this or you got to be this right you can be a blend of both right and you should be a blend of both yeah i think about like when i was um you know the sort of stuff that i used to consume when when i was looking for direction in this regard and this is why this shit kind of like worries me a little bit because it's been oversimplified man i used to look at the people like i the people who i looked up to and you kind of know who they are because we've got a bunch of them around the place here and posters and whatnot. I used to go and study, like, what, what did they do? You know, like, was it all hustle all the time? Or was there a little bit of downtime? Or was it self-love all the time with a little bit of hustle? You know, like, find out who the people you look up to. Actually dig a little bit and find out what they do. Reach out. Fuck, these days you can reach out to them. Ask them. <laughs> Ask them what they do if they don't already share it. You know, it's often, it's, it's you're kind of led to believe you have to be this or that when you can be this combined with a little bit of that. Yeah. And you should be uh, because, you know, the most successful people in business, fitness, relationships, all parts of life often are able to combine two and are, are often able to hold two things that seem to be on opposite ends of the spectrum at the same time. Yeah. So just... Food for thought. Don't you don't have to buy into one camp or the other. Yeah, mm. yeah I love it. That's a wrap. That's it. Done. Another one. Another Down. One, Harley's got his, his. Harley's like, yeah, we oh, made it. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck. The camera's about to run out. No, we're all good. Uh, guys, thank you uh, for tuning into this episode. Once again, if you've got any questions that you want to send through, at Brandon Verdi on Instagram uh, for the <laughs> very next episode of Your Four. Brandon, thank you very much. Thank you. Another good blend of uh, of, of questions, and um, you know, I hope that the listeners and the viewers took a lot out of this episode. Guys, if you did take um, some value out of this episode, the one thing we ask in return is that you share the show. Uh, the best way you can do that is through your Instagram story. Take a screenshot right now on your favorite podcasting platform. Post that in your Instagram story. Tag Brandon, tag myself. We love seeing those and we like resharing them as many as we can as well. Brandon, thank you very much. Guys, you could have been anywhere in the world right now, but you're here with us. We appreciate that. Until next time, we'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode. We hope you enjoyed listening. A couple of things to round out. Firstly, if you've yet to subscribe to the Fitness Times Business Podcast on your favorite podcasting platform, make sure you do that right now so you don't miss any future episodes. Secondly, if you guys took some value from this episode, the one thing we ask in return is that you share the show. And finally, if you've yet to leave us a five-star rating, make sure you do that before the next episode.